Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. The owner uh, went to the SSB net and to, and he also set out a, a pun pun, but nobody answered and nobody came to help. So or were or most of a lot of the, the boats that answered were on the SSB were too far away. They were like seventy miles away from the boat, so it didn't really make sense for them for us to wait mm. until they showed up. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host Annika. On the Liverbird Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests are sharing inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. I have often wondered what it would be like to buy a boat in a different country or even on a different continent. Today, I finally get some insight into this and learn about some of the challenges and things to consider when buying a boat far from home. My guests are Patricia and Dave from Sailing Milagros, a Swiss couple who bought their sailboat in Mexico. Their boat is a 44-foot Kelly Peterson from 1978, and as it needed some upgrades, Patricia and Dave have been working hard at a boatyard to get the boat ready. We talk about their experience of boat shopping internationally, and they also share a sailing story from the Sea of Cortez that can be a learning experience for all of us. Here we go with Patricia and Dave. So Dave and Patricia, thank you for joining me on the podcast. As you know, through this podcast, I have the privilege to talk to so many people from all over the world, and it's always exciting to hear these international stories. And it is actually part of the reason why I was particularly interested in talking with you. So can you tell a little bit about your background? Where are you from and where are you now? Um, my name's David. I'm 33 years old. 
and I'm Patricia, 32 years old. Um, we're originally from Switzerland and now at the moment we're living in the Cabrales boatyard in Mexico on the boat and working on the boat. And which side of Mexico are you? Are you on the Pacific or the Atlantic side? Um, we are on the Pacific side, close to the um, American border, close to us, Arizona. So we are all the way up uh, north in the Sea of Cortez. Yeah, exactly. So you are far away from home. You are quite literally from the center of Europe where there's no ocean anywhere nearby. So I have to ask before we get to all the sailing stuff, and this is actually a listener question from Neil, so thanks to Neil for this one. But what was it about sailing that made you go like, aha, this is it, this is the lifestyle for us? Why not, for example, van life or something similar that a lot of people in Europe do? And, and Switzerland would be a great place to do things like that. Yeah, so we um, we went on a sailing trip to the Cape Verde Islands together with my sister and her boyfriend. So my sister's boyfriend, Inyaki, he's a sailing instructor um, on a lake in Switzerland. And so, yeah, we uh, went to went sailing for two weeks there and then we liked it a lot. That was back in 2018. And after that trip, kind of... Um, yeah, this idea of maybe buying a boat or like following up on this lifestyle kind of uh, ended up in buying a boat. <laughs> in the beginning, we were um, we wanted to buy a boat for the four of us. So the, the original intention was to go sailing as a group of four and with uh, Patricia's sister and her boyfriend. And then we, we also um, traveled to Italy, Norway and to Spain to have a look at at boats and but it didn't work out eventually so um in the end we decided to to look for two boats then Iñaki and Carmen ended up buying a boat in Mexico and so this kind of went to the situation of us having two boats on the other side of the planet basically <laughs> Yeah, okay. So that's interesting that you were looking in Europe, but then maybe were inspired by your friends and, and uh, relatives doing that in Mexico. And uh, I wanted to ask you, of course, since we are talking about sailing and all that, so what kind of boat uh, do you have? So we have a Kelly Peterson 44. That's a quite sturdy um, blue water cruiser designed by two Americans and built in Taiwan. Yes, center cockpit boat. Yeah, she's um, 43 years old now. Yeah, 78. Yeah, so we we um, we were looking into into different different boat types, of course, but um, a uh, center cockpit was uh, important to us in terms of um, in terms of safety, for example, and also comfort um, while sailing. And then we stumbled uh, upon this. Uh, these Kelly Peterson 44 boats because also for the length of the boat we were looking into boats around like 40 yeah, 45 40 foot basically yeah, 40, 40 foot mark yeah not too big but not not smaller because we figured um the bigger the boat the more budget you need to maintain it but the smaller the boat the more difficult it would probably be like on a social uh, uh, like on a social base so we we thought that 44 f uh, feet is 
probably a good a good point in between for the length of the trip and like um, how long the money will last and how, how long we will have fun with it kind of yeah, and <laughs> so. also we want we would we would love to have friends and family over and we have and this is also we we figured that it would be would be nice to have kind of separate spaces for all the parties on board if we would have um guests and this is why we we also thought that going like somewhere at the 40 range would would bring a lot of comfort to the also for the life on board yeah. so now we have two cabins uh, with a head each and then we have like galley and in, in the saloon so it's like yeah and because it's a center cockpit um to uh, get to the aft cabin you go through kind of a tunnel and so we have the separation between between the two all right, the boat is divided in kind of two, two separate spaces for both of the cabins that are on board. Yeah, I really like center cockpit boats on the inside as well because they do give that nice aft cabin and it does make it feel like it's a lot more private when it's all the way back there. Yeah, what I like about the center cockpit um, is that when you're sitting in the cockpit, you kind of feel encapsulated by the boat, basically. So it gives you a great feeling of um, safety too. Because you basically have the boat, like the the hull of the boat is all around you. Whereas on the boats in the that have the cockpit all the way in the back, I sometimes had the feeling I felt a bit exposed, kind of, if you can say so. And this is why we we it was a was a an important part for us to um to look for a center cockpit boat too. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And it's something that I want to try as well. I've only ever sailed on an aft cockpit boat, but I'm really interested to sail on a center cockpit. So I know how that actually feels. But I have to ask, since you mentioned the boat is uh, 43 years old, so it's actually older than you guys. So what condition was the boat in when you bought it? Uh, when we bought the boat, the previous owner had had just like um, finished cruising. And he was living in the marina on the boat. And before he went, um, before we went cruising on the boat, he took the entire insides of the boat apart, literally, and put everything back together. So the insides are really, really nice and really well laid out. But um, we have to take care of a lot of the, the work outside. We have to do the, we had to do an osmosis treatment on the bottom. We had to do barrier coats, um, anti-fouling. We had to paint the top sides. We had to take the mast down and um, inspect everything. We have to do new rigging. We have to install a new wind indicator. So we have to basically take part of the, the entire outsides of the boat where, where, whereas he did basically did the inside. We don't have to do so much on the inside, except for the water tanks, which we had to replace because they were corroded. Yeah, exactly. So you certainly have your work cut out for you, but I'm also curious to know since you did buy a boat you know far away from home in an entirely different continent even how was that process like did you use a local broker or surveyor or how did you go about did you just move to mexico to decide to buy a boat or did you find a boat and then go there or how did that look like so actually it um we as as my sister carmen and her boyfriend Inyaki found their dream boat uh, cal 246 with um, uh, our deck saloon, uh, they found it in Ensenada in Mexico. That, that's on the Pacific side, and so we were kind of forced um, to buy a boat or look for boats on on the west coast of the U.S. and Mexico, too, because we wanted to 
do this adventure together. And so we started looking into boats um, on the Pacific side. And then we found a Kelly Peterson 44 in Los Angeles that um, we, uh, so we made an offer and flew over to LA to, to have it surveyed. And there we had, we hired a surveyor, like a normal marine surveyor, a rig surveyor and a, a, a mechanic to do an engine survey. And we've been on the boat for two days, like looking at it, like from the inside out, taking it apart and whatever. But then eventually we, we turned that boat down and um, I had to go go home. And David had a few days left in LA to to spend. And so my sister's boyfriend was with us and he wanted to go to see his boat in Ensenada in Mexico. That's about, that's a few hours away from Los Angeles. And so they've joined him on the trip to Ensenada. Yeah. And, then, and then while we were, we, we took a bus to to go to Ensenada. The, the bus had Wi-Fi and while we were on the Wi-Fi, we thought, yeah, why not look for boats in the Ensenada area? And when we, I think it was Yacht World, when we were going over Yacht World and looking at boats, all of a sudden like another Kelly Peterson 44 pops up and we looked through the pictures and we're like, okay, that boat seems to be in good shape. And all of a sudden we realized that the boat is the, the boat was literally that there was the boat of Inyaki and Carmen was sitting in a slip. Then there was an empty slip and the boat was next like the next one. So it was in the same marina, basically next to their boat. And then we called the broker and um, had a, a meet, set up a meeting with the owner and everything, had a look at the boat and were really thought that it could be the one boat we're looking for. And then I had to leave, had to go back home, but um, Inyaki was still there. So we organized a surveyor to come down and look at the boat and he was with him. Um, and had a look at the boat with him. And then after, after we received the survey, which was positive, um, we kind of were like, if it's, if it's not that boat, what, which one else is it going to be? Because if we find two boats next to each other on the other side of the planet, then it's kind of, it's a sign basically. We were like, and, if it's not that boat, then <laughs> which is it going to be? And um, the name of our boat or of the boat is Milagros, which means miracles in Spanish. And so it was kind of a miracle how we found her, that she was yeah. just next to my sister's boat. And also like finding the boat by accident on the Wi-Fi. On the... Oh, that's a lovely story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, it's always, whenever we tell, tell the story, we're like, oh, did that really happen? It's like, <laughs> but it's cool. It's really, it's, it's a cool, cool, a really cool coincidence. Maybe not a coincidence. Or maybe not a coincidence, who knows? Yeah, maybe it was all meant to be. I love how everything just lined up for you. And it was literally right there. It's really this, it, it just everything kind of came together and just led to us buying this boat. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you did a survey and you liked the results and you knew what you were getting yourselves into. So when did you then move on to the boat? Did that happen quite quickly after after you bought it? Um, so so after we had the boat surveyed, the buying process or the, the transfer process was quite quick. So a few weeks later, we were basically the owner the owners of the boat. That was uh, in August 2019. And then we went to visit the boat in, in December 2019 for two weeks over Christmas to kind of see her and yeah live live on her for the 
for the first get, time. Get to know each other. Get, get to know each other, <laughs> kind of. And then um, uh, we actually wanted to uh, move aboard full time beginning of May 2020. Then, But then because of COVID um, and the lockdown in Switzerland that started in March, um, all the flights were cancelled. And yeah, so we had to postpone our return to Milagros to to um, October 2020. Um, we were really lucky that Mexico was always open. So the borders were never closed for travel. So we could uh, go to see Milagros. And then um, my sister and her boyfriend, uh, they left Switzerland in February, just before the lockdown. And they started the refit of their boat in Mexico and helped, then helped us to sail the boat down from Ensenada to Puerto Penasco, where we are now. That was in we November. We, yeah, we hauled out here in October, Penasco November last year. in November 2020. And then we returned to live aboard full-time mid of January 2021. Yeah, and here we are still. And I love that you have this sort of, um, that your sister is with you sort of, uh, or nearby ready to assist and that you're doing this together. I think that's really special to be able to do that with a sister. That sounds absolutely amazing. I know nobody, I have no friends who are into sailing. So it's really hard to like get my friends excited and, and talk about this. So I can only imagine what it is like to have a sister who already has a boat. It's already in the same area. And is there ready to help? So, we also took a, a little leave from the from boat work in May and went sailing with the other two on their boat for a couple of weeks before they before they went home to work. So we we, we brought um, their boat from La Paz to San Carlos with them and um, explored the anchorages a bit and like put some training in because we're both. Uh, it's worth mentioning that we're both noobs, basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we did we. Uh, I've, I've done 1500 miles and um, to bring the boat here with the other two which is quite reasonable but I still feel like a complete noob <laughs> even <laughs> after all these after all these miles but yeah we're we're really lucky that we have kind of we have good uh, like relatives and good friends at the same time around mm -hmm. us and I mean also here in the boatyard we chose the boatyard we are at because we knew that there would be that there's like a, a really good community of cruisers here and we went here because we knew that there would be other people who have done all the work that we're, we're doing right now, who have done those projects already and are like that the knowledge that we need, because we're also doing all of the work for the first time ourselves, that all the knowledge that we would need would be around and that completely paid off. It's like the, the, the community here is really awesome. We've got to know a lot of really cool people and um, made really good friends here and it's 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 a funny art to be. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And so you've been living on board for now, a, say, better part of a year, and you have some sailing experience now with your sister uh, as well. And now you've uh, delved into the world of boat work, and you said you're doing some of the work yourself. So I have to ask, since you are a you know, few months into this, uh, what is it that you like and don't like about the either boat ownership or or just to live aboard a life in general? What I personally really enjoy is that we're kind of our own bosses. That we kind of, if we if we feel like working 15 hours a day, then we work 15 hours a day. If we don't 
feel like working at all, then we just doing nothing for a day or even two. So we can kind of we're we're on our own schedule basically, and we we kind of decide on our own when how much we work we want to put in. That's mm-hmm. that's something I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy um, all the skills that we can learn here. Yeah. So so we are doing like almost all the work ourselves, except for spraying paint. And um, so, so many things that we learn here, it's just amazing. Also fiberglassing. Yeah, we, we feel we'll, we feel that we're learning a lot of skills that will that will just that, that will never lose again. It doesn't matter if we're on the boat or not on a boat. We're just learning a, a ton of skills and we're getting a ton of knowledge that will never be lost again, mm-hmm. even if that trip might come to an end some someday. Or... Mm-hmm. And also, um, not only like skills how how to do something, but also kind of personal skills because um, the level of um, uh, frustration is quite high sometimes. So we need to learn mm-hmm. how to to cope with it. Uh, I mean, the the life back home was kind of comfortable because nothing ever happened like that was. It wasn't as frustrating as as over here, so it was just easy and comfortable. And here, it's just from like one minute to another, it can be from like really happy to to kind of devastated, and angry, and also and also everything is new to us, so there's a lot of uncertainty in it. So and also i mean we talked about the community that we have here and the community or the sailing community in general so every sailor kind of has his opinion on on how to do something and then when you talk to 10 people you get 10 opinions and if you are new to it and you just you just don't know what it is then you need to kind of find find your own your own right yeah fil- filter filter all the information and just like decide on what would be best or what you think would be best in for yourself in yeah moment. and it's hard to know whether the decision you take or took is is the right decision because there's so many ways how you can do it and also um um contradicting um <laughs> recommendations <laughs> um, so and this uncertainty kind of yeah make slows you down a, a little bit and also increases like the level of worrying like is is the work good enough for the ocean later for example like closing a through hull um is a lot of responsibility actually because it can sink your boat if you fail and then there's so many options and which one is the right one to do it so yeah we're feeling i mean we're feeling pretty um confident about the work that we've done so far and we think um um we've done a good job but if we've actually done a good job that will only show when we're in the water i mean it's easy to say when you're when you're on the heart but it's going to show quickly when we're when we're out there somewhere yeah and or also uh, other mistakes if we have done any mistakes they c- it's possible that they only show in 10 years or 20 years or that the, that the, if we ever sell the boat that the next owner needs to deal with it it's just yeah i mean just i mean li- living here on the boatyard is just as everybody says the um like living on a sailboat is ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And it's, it's, it's exactly that already in the boatyard. It's not, we don't even, we haven't even left and we're already experiencing that. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling that the ups and downs might be even more pronounced because you're on the boatyard <laughs> and you yeah, don't necessarily yeah, yeah. get the positive aspects of the beautiful sunsets on the boats or 
you know, that aspect is currently missing. So you're just dealing with all the high stress situations of boat work and, and all of that. And what is your timeline? How long do you, how long have you already been on the boat yard? And how long do you think you will be on the boat yard? And we've been here since mid January. And we initially hoped to get in the water end of September, but um, we just discovered that our paint job, the paint job we've done is failing. So we need to figure that out. We'll see. Yeah. So now it's the beginning of September. So it's like four or five weeks left. And we don't know whether we can figure out in four or five weeks uh, or whether we can get the paint job ready. And, and everything also, else too, because we just have a. That was uh, was an interesting situation when we came when we came back on the boat, and one of the, and um, we went home for two weeks, a couple of weeks ago. Went home to Switzerland for the wedding of Patricia's brother, and um, when we came home, we kind of, of had a look again at the to do list, and uh, we were sitting there like, oh my god, how are we ever going to finish all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, but now we also um, found a crack in the gooseneck. Uh, where the the boom is attached to the mast, and now we need to also find a solution for that because the the boom manufacturer um, is out of business, and so we the, we cannot just buy this part. So we need to to have it made by someone, and yeah, and we don't know what this will mean to our timeline. And I think I think so- someone recently told me that. Um, plans of a sailor are written in sand at low tide <laughs> so that's probably what's happening to us at the moment yeah yeah a good chance that that is very correct but you are also learning a lot not just in terms of like skills but also you're learning about your own boat which is likely going to be very handy once you start sailing and you know exactly what was done and how it was done and how it looks on the inside or outside and, and inside and out. So I'm sure that is really valuable. Right now we literally know every corner of the mm. boat, basically, because we've just taken, we know every corner of the boat. We've taken everything apart and I'm putting it back together. So that mean, it, it will, that will definite, most definitely be an advantage once we're, once we're out. Yeah, many people kind of ask us, why are we refitting the boat first and then go sailing and not the other way around? I mean, one reason is that now with the refit, we really get to know the boat, its strengths, uh, its weaknesses, and and we know the systems, and we we know to help ourselves. Because if I if I compare ourselves to when we came here and like now, our how we solve problems has changed, like the way we do that, or also no, so like the, the confidence, the the confidence of working on the boat has increased tremendously since we started because in the beginning we, we were scared of touching things basically because we were like oh are we gonna like destroy something if we take this screw out or or like remove this plate here and do that and now the hammer. at the moment we're, we're literally if we're if we need to look into something we just like take stuff apart and then put it back together or don't or yeah mm. it's like our confidence on working on the boat has really really grown When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. So I am curious because there's a lot of people out there who are looking to buy a boat abroad, and even I've thought about it. Um, and it kind of seems like a really scary thing to do to go to not just a different country, but maybe even a different continent where you're dealing with different languages and different currencies and all these things. So I'm wondering, with your experience having gone rather smoothly and miraculously, do you have any advice to anybody who's thinking about buying a boat in a different country? Um, so what, what we noticed like about buying a different country, or at least like buying like on the other side of the world, that I mean, it's, Mexico is is nice and we love it here, but it's really far away from home. So we couldn't bring um, our stuff here, basically. So we had to buy tools and stuff over here. And also for friends and family, it's hard. It's hard to come and visit because it's a thirty-five hours journey to where we are at the moment. It is and at least at the moment because we're coming from Europe and not allowed to travel via the US or like yeah, yeah so, even if so I mean it's 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 far away and I, we're, we're pretty sure that um if we if we would have bought like a boat in France or northern Germany or something we would have friends come over and hang out with us and help us and so that's that's not the case here so that's something to like to consider um when buying a boat abroad is like how far away I mean buying abroad is not is not the issue I mean but but the question is how far away is the boat from home, from friends, from family, and how how or how difficult is it to get parts in the in the place that the boat is at, and yeah, stuff like that. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's for every doesn't really matter where you buy the boat. I guess there's always like a million points to to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now we are, for example, happy that we didn't buy the boat in LA because we are still not allowed to enter the US. Yeah, maybe would be, we would be stuck home still and the boat would sit in the marina. Or would still. have been sitting yeah. for a while yeah. there. And also, I mean, um, we are close to the US for parts. That's really nice. And and Mexico is quite cheap also in terms of uh, uh, yard fees and uh, like storage. But then if you go like, if, if you buy a boat in Panama or Costa Rica, it's just like incredibly... Uh, expensive also yeah, from to what do we hear work. it gets all, all basically all around mexico stuff gets more difficult mm -hmm. and a lot more expensive super quickly mm -hmm. so and then it's yeah. also i think like stuff like paperwork legal stuff also uh, money transfer is also for us was kind of difficult to wire money to the us yeah uh, availability of surveyors um we we have we were lucky because ensenada is um like one and a half hour drive from San Diego. So it was quite easy to get a surveyor, but then other places. Maybe there not. is, maybe there is none, maybe 
they're too far away and it would be or you would have to fly them in even mm. or so because um what we totally recommend is to have the boat surveyed prior to to buying it because yeah. i mean even we we find stuff here on milagros that the surveyor didn't see and didn't check where we wished we we had seen it or he had seen it yeah i mean it's it's when you when you sail the boat you when you are outside on the ocean it's about your safety and not surveying a boat i think that's quite risky yeah. and also in terms of what you know about the boat and yeah when what's what's important and i mean kind of logical too is like to to um find out how the legal how all the how all the legal aspects um go and in in our case we we had a, a broker who took care of the temporary import of the boat in in mexico while we were while we were gone and also for the for the for the transfer of the boat from the previous owner to us we had a we had a company that was doing all the paperwork um for us basically in contact with the previous owner um in the US mm -hmm. but so, and but still but um, it was it was it wasn't like it wasn't difficult or anything it's just like it was that's just clear and clear and good communication yeah. but still we we key, we had a problem with the paperwork when we wanted to leave the port for the first time so even though we had the broker and this company taking care of it there was a document missing that kept us from leaving and then we had to find a way to get this document and it's just yeah when you're ready when the boat is all ready to leave provision um, like you're ready in your mind to leave and then you have to wait i don't know how long yeah, it? like a week to get it all done that's really annoying yeah that's that's maybe an important point um is that if if possible is um during the buying and surveying processes um an important thing is like to be present if if any if possible in any way like whenever there's something done with the boat or on the boat is like to be to be present so it makes sense to like think about where the where the boat is sitting at does it make sense is it too far away is it close enough is it yeah yeah that's really good advice and really i love how they are very practical tips and also things to think about like how far are you from your friends who could potentially help you or yeah or just like or also like just make a visit home i mean for, for us it um it took forever to go home and if, if if the boat would have been closer it might have been a couple of hours and also if we we had phases during the refit where we were completely fed up and were just like, oh, I cannot do this anymore. We need a break. If if the boat would have been closer, we could have just like gone home for a couple of days. But that's not, we cannot do that here because we're way too far away from, from home and, and it would be plane tickets and and everything. So, Yeah, I guess expensive for sure with this kind of long distance travel, especially now with varying levels of COVID going around the world still, which nobody saw coming that it's still still with us. And But at least, you know, you are in a very beautiful part of the world and with lovely climate, especially now heading to winter, you are going to have much better winter than I will here in Canada. And I'm sure that once you actually get to sailing, you will be very happy that you are starting in that part of the world because I have heard absolutely beautiful things about sailing in the Sea of Cortez and in that area as well. And I know you've done some sailing there because I was reading your blog and there was a really scary sounding story. And I'm wondering if you can 
recap that and it had to do with you guys running into fishing lines which i have heard about a lot in other blogs or instagram stories as well so can you retell that story because i think that would be really valuable learning experience for a lot of people to hear it was a super i mean in hindsight it was a we just think it was a super valuable experience that we that we made there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's scary and everything, but apart from that, we just took it as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. So um, we we had to bring a boat, deliver a boat from Puerto Penasco to La Paz because um, the owner of the boat um, couldn't sail it alone anymore, and so we we crewed for him to get to La Paz. And on on our way down, we uh, we were at anchor somewhere and saw on the wind forecast that there would be a ni- some nice wind coming up during the night. And so we decided to leave the anchorage at uh, uh, 8 p.m. in the night and catch that wind to, to sail down because the, the previous few days we had to motor because we had the wind directly on the nose. And yeah, motoring is always kind of annoying. So sailing is better. So that's why we, we chose to leave. And then we were like two hours into the trip. It was about eight miles, so just around the corner of the anchorage. Um, Dave and I went down to um, to sleep because we had um, the night was divided in four uh, in three shifts, and the owner had decided to take the first shift, and he he was uh, sitting in the cockpit, and then all of a sudden we wake up because we hear like a, a rattling noise outside. It was I rem- I remember it was pretty quickly after we went to bed because i i remember being kind of half asleep when the noise when we just had like a, a um it was like a tapping noise it was like on a the dum, hall. Dum, it just dum, went dum. like and then and like, short- oh something's weird and shortly after um the engine stopped and then we ran ran out into the cockpit and the owner he was like there and say i i think we just hit a fishing net and then we yeah we grabbed the torches and to take a look and yeah we were in the middle of a huge fishing net it was about probably a mile long it was it wow. was really it was really was really, <laughs> really huge and um, so you could just follow like it, it had the orange the orange floaters on it and those were hanging from the rudder and then you could just follow with the torch you could just follow the the orange floaters into the night with the, with the flashlight and it was like oh oh yeah and that the, thing is big and then luckily, uh, or yeah, luckily the, the fishermen in a panga or showed up shortly after. They must have seen how we ran into their net. And then they started to taking in the net from one side. And it took them about an hour. And then to just take the, the net into their boat. And then we started discussing with them. We with our um, limited Spanish and they with their non-existing, non-existing English. English. <laughs> so it was about, yeah, they, they of course didn't want to cut the net and we we figured the, they have to cut it and so we discussed with them and then eventually could get them to cut the net and then they kind of took the net in on the other side too and yeah in the in the beginning they asked us and they were like um one of you guys has to go in the water and cut the net and it was it was in the middle of the night and a bit bumpy and and we were like uh, no not going in the water right now <laughs> And they they were uh, yeah of co- they were of course trying to save their net they didn't want to cut cut their net into pieces so. yeah and they thought that it was only like caught in the rudder so that you could just go down there wiggle a little bit and then yeah. get it free but um, yeah we tried and it, yeah we 
didn't succeed. So eventually they cut off the net also on the second side. And we we didn't know how bad the damage was. So we, the, yeah, the wind actually that was forecasted didn't show up. Luckily. Luckily. And the fishermen said that they there will be no wind during the night, no current and nothing. So that we would just yeah, stay there. And we were quite close to shore, just like one and a half miles. So we kind of were, we feared that we could, be blown or blown washed or wash pushed ashore. pushed ashore and so the fishermen said they wanted to return at sunrise after finishing their fishing during the night and we just um, yeah we there was nothing else that we could do than just sit in the cockpit and yeah we do, took, do we night took turns do night do, do night shifts night shifts and drifting watch, along yeah <laughs> watching the boat drifting it was weird so doing night shifts on a boat that is it was like taking night shifts at anchor basically because the the, the sea turned it, everything turned out to be the way the the fishermen said because yeah they know i mean they're, they have been fishing their entire life in this area so they know how currents and wind work and we had no current and yeah. we had no wind luckily because yeah and it was yeah. really it was really interesting to see on the navionics track that um you could see how we were like motoring along and then when we caught the fishing net we were basically just going backwards on the track again that we where we came from so we were like on on the same line kind of we were just like going back <laughs> backwards the way we came from the way we came from and then only in the morning we started the boat started doing um, going in circles but we kind of never got really closer to shore but we were prepared to drop the anchor somewhere yeah, that, that kind of would have been the last emergency step we could have taken like and then um so we were we couldn't maneuver, so we didn't know whether the rudder was still okay because we saw that the fishing net also got in between the hull and the rudder, and and yeah, so we couldn't sail because we thought that we uh, there was no wind, of course, and we couldn't start the engine because we didn't know whether the net had caused some damage. And then at sunrise, um, David got into the water, so he mounted his uh, snorkeling gear. So we had no scuba gear aboard. I got I got into the dinghy and David, <laughs> we just basically went through the through the entire toolbox of the boat, just trying to to cut off the net, and we tried knives and saw and clamps and sort of whatever there is. Yeah, like, and I was just like basically diving diving down, cutting, getting back up, diving down, cutting a bit, getting back up. Yeah, so we had we had found that the the net had wrapped around the prop and the shaft, and um, David was working on that for like one and a half hours and but we couldn't manage to completely free um, the boat so he could cut off like most of the net mm. and while we were uh, working on on the net uh, the owner uh, went on to the SSB net and to and he also set out a, a pan pan but nobody answered and nobody came to help so or were or most of a lot of the, the boats that answered were on the SSB were too far away. They were like a boat offered um, scuba gear, but they were like seventy miles, seventy miles away from the boat. So it didn't really make sense for them for us to wait mm. until they showed up. And then we we still don't know how and who organized it. If it was the fishermen that we caught the net off, or a cruiser, or who 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 it was. And all of a sudden, uh, a fishing a fishing boat shows up, and they had a diver and a compressor on their boat. So they somehow got informed that we were drifting out there with a, with fishing gear in our um stock in our propeller and then i mean the guy had all he had a compressor he had the 
the weights and everything to stay down. So it took him like 15 minutes to take all the remnants and all the rest of the net of the prop. And then we like did a test run of the engine and everything, and everything seemed to work. And then yeah, on we went. Yeah, so the, the, the net had the molten around the, the shaft. So even though the owner was really quick in turning off the engine, the, the plastic really yeah, melted. That was actually really bad. And I think we all by ourselves, we could never have freed the boat from, no, from the have, net. Or it would have taken forever. I mean, the, di the diver could stay down there for uh, like all yeah, the time. The, and for it took the diver, him... it was a quick thing because he could just stay down there and just yeah. work on it. And then also another boat, uh, another cruiser showed up after a while. And she she offered us to tow us into the next port that uh, was or the yeah that was about ten or twelve miles away. But that was kind of yeah we felt a little bit um, alone, um, because no yeah there was no nobody answered on the radio and we were just all by ourselves. Yeah, but we had to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, that sounds scary. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of what I found really. I don't know. Is it astonishing? Astonishing is the wrong word. And um, we just, uh, us two, the owner, the fisherman, the diver, the other lady on her sailboat who came by during the entire thing, um, everybody stayed super, super calm. So it, it nobody nobody ever panicked or freaked out or something, um, which I think is mainly because we got super lucky with the conditions because there was no wind. There was basically like during the night, it was flat calm. We weren't pushed ashore. We, we just got super lucky, which, which, um, and the fishermen were, were right around the corner. I mean, that's, that's a, a huge part is that we, we ran into the net and the, the fishermen were still around the corner, basically. And I think they saw us running to their gear. And then they, like five minutes later or so, they were at the boat. It could have been a whole different story if, they would have been gone and we would be stuck to that net for the for the entire night i mean considering the circumstances we got we got super lucky and this is what what helped us a lot in that situation yeah that's that's for sure so it, it did thankfully have uh, that situation to help but it could have easily gone the other way as well which made it easy to stay calm in the end i guess yeah. it's like yeah and eventually after it was i think 11 hours um we just continued our trip. Yeah, as if <laughs> with... nothing happened, we just went on. <laughs> so no, no damage, no damage to the boat. We just, we just no damage check, to us. Check the prop, check the shaft, check the engine, rudder, the rudder, and everything worked. We didn't have any damage. That would have changed everything too, of course. I mean, if we would have had a damage prop or something, then we could just go on as if nothing happened, basically. Yeah, still really scary to be essentially dead in the water for 11 hours. So that's a long time to even as calm as the conditions were. So this wasn't on your boat. So that was an interesting learning experience that you got to have on somebody else's boat, which yeah, I'm sure that, is I mean, a good yeah, thing. The, it's really, as I'm saying, all the, everything everything was in our favor in that situation, basically. It's like, I'm as, as stupid as it sounds, it's like, of course, it's a scary situation and a dangerous situation potentially, but we were lucky enough to just basically just take positives out of it for ourselves mm -hmm. and for our experience. So it also didn't lead to to like that we are like scared now to go sailing or whatever. It's just we we we've taken some learning with us from from this incident and so I mean there's no way we could have prevented um like for us like running into the net during the night. So because uh, it was so big we would have just like run into it anyway, but I would probably don't I would probably not go as close to shore 
as we did there. So just try to get into deeper waters. Yeah, a bit further into the sea. And also um, in terms of knives and gear to cut out a net, um, just have like having the proper tools uh, makes it much more easier to maybe have an emergency box ready where you have all the tools for for such an incident. So you don't have to like get into the boat and like search for tools and try out we, we, we literally like tried out 10 different tools to find out which one it and um, which one works best and if you don't have the time i mean we had the time to do that if you don't have the time to do that it, it makes sense to just have an emergency box ready to like cut free of whatever you your yeah. boat gets entangled in and also i mean we scuba gear or at least like a like this handheld scuba thing yeah without without a scuba diver bailout tank yeah yeah, so just something um, where you can stay on the water yeah. for a longer time than just like go up and down and up and down and up and down. Yeah, so that these are for sure learnings that we are incorporating in our future sailing experience, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah that's a really good and practical tip again to have something, a little emergency kit for that kind of things because you know i follow a lot of people on youtube who are sailing and there are a lot of people running into things uh whether it's fishing net or or something else there's so much fishing gear all around the place it's um in every ocean on on the planet i mean or what was it for example also um we never thought about that is that when you dive into the water you need to be able to attach the tool to yourself <laughs> and we didn't so, think about that immediately yeah so we, your tools... i sunk a super nice knife of the owner <laughs> that he kind of or did he make it himself yeah it, was just, it, it, it worked perfectly but it wasn't attached to me so his super nice self-made knife went diving in the sea of Cortez and will be there forever yeah and so that the tools kind of have a, a hole or something where you can attach them to yourself so that's also that was a learning experience too because after i sunk the sunk his nice knife that's when i started attaching tools to to my arm <laughs> yeah i would have never thought about that so that's amazing i'm literally taking notes here <laughs> as you speak and i'm sure i would take more as i re-listen to this like oh my gosh what a good idea <laughs> what a good idea so yeah thank you you are clearly helping everybody <laughs> or helping others with this uh, learning experience of yours <laughs> so Obviously, now you are a little more prepared in that sense again to start sailing once you get your boat back in the water. And I'm curious, since you are on the Sea of Cortez area and in that side of Mexico, what are your plans? I'm sure you spend a lot of time chatting with your sister, Patricia, about your cruising plans and and all that, the big dreams. So where are you guys hoping to go once you get in the water? It's always yeah. It's we have like a trillion ideas of what we of what we could do. And me, me personally, at at the moment, I don't think any further than the the Sea of Cortez, or at least I try to, because um, it will it will be as soon as we get in the water. I mean, we had we had this massive learning experience on the boatyard now, and as soon as we we get the boat in the water, we'll start from zero again, basically, if you will. Um, and we need to figure out how everything works when you're on water. So this is kind of the first step for me is is like getting comfortable with the boat and getting confident to to sail the boat and that will happen in the Sea of Cortez. And afterwards we would we would love to go south. I mean in Yaki and Carmen they really really want to go to Costa Rica which would, which would be awesome of course. And then I mean from there on there's like the, the, the whole world is basically at your we could go through the Panama Canal to the Caribbean we, we could cross the Pacific we could 
go to Hawaii and then we could to go to Hawaii Alaska. and then to Alaska. We could go further and further south. That's like there's a million and million uh, thoughts and ideas of, of what we could do. And we ourselves, we, we kind of said, we're just gonna take this journey as it is and just go where go the, with the flow. Yeah, just go with the flow and see what where we where we land and where we uh, where, where we see where it takes us. Yeah, because I think you kind of need a plan or an intention where you want to go. But on the other hand, like planning too much kind of lets you lose the, the ability to just uh, take opportunities that present themselves to you. Just that if I like have in mind that I I want to be in the uh, in Tahiti next year, then I will do everything to get there and miss out on on things that are on the way, maybe. And what we've heard from many people is that people who have circumnavigated that they wish they had taken more time to explore, to stay. That's that's what what we heard from a from heard or read from a lot of people who've done like circumnavigation on fixed schedules is that they would have loved to like stay longer in certain places but they had to move on because of because of the time schedule and uh, that's when it's like we, we des decided to not set ourselves a time schedule to we said it's gonna last as long as it lasts if it's only half a year it's only half a year if we're still doing it in 10 years then even better and yeah we just we're completely open about that kind of um in in that sense yeah, and I mean, that's the beauty of sailing. You can have as many dreams as you want, and you can literally go any which direction you want. The world is literally out there for you to go wherever you want to. And I completely agree on that sentiment that you don't want to set too strict of a goal, because then your eyes might not be open to something amazing. That might be a little bit closer, but it's not the big um, shining goal that you have set out for yourself. So I love that you have that attitude and then you'll, you'll see where you end up. And that's, that's really nice. And I would love to know where can we follow you to see where it is that you actually end up. So we do um weekly blog. We write about our um, adventures, experiences and whatever on milagros.ch. And we also document our journey on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, so far we we kept up with like putting out weekly blog posts since like last October or so. So there's over 50, 50 blog posts like documenting our entire refit basically on our on our homepage. I hope you liked this episode and hearing about all the boat shopping and refitting in Mexico. Doing all that boat work is definitely hard, but I am a little envious of the nice weather in Mexico especially as it starts to get really cold here in Canada. I have to say that the Canadian winter is definitely a great motivation to pursue the liverboard life somewhere warmer. Next week's episode will be the last interview of the season, and the podcast will take a little break over the Christmas holidays. If you have enjoyed the season so far, I would invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, as it does help others find the show, and I would love to have more people join in for the next season. Next week, we will stick with the warm weather as we chat with a couple in the Caribbean. I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.